This is the sound of domestic violence. Neighbours of this young couple who have a three-year-old daughter have heard this on and off for at least four years. And though the police are regularly called and often calm things down, neighbours say nothing much seems to change. At times the fighting spills onto the lawn in front of the house. Diane Hankins is a principal of a school in the vicinity of the house where the couple live. We've rung the police over all the shouting and yelling and you know we have actually witnessed some of the violence. There used to be an old caravan on the site and we saw her rushing into it and trying to get away from him and then he was trying to pull her out of it by the hair and we rang the police and there was shouting and yelling and... Um, and the police came and took him away. Yeah, the police come and seem to take him away, but then he's always back there the next day. Ms Hankin says the problem is persistent, but it's hard to know what to do apart from calling the police. There's a big tree in front of the house, so quite often we can't see what's happening, but we can hear all the violence and we can hear like furniture being thrown inside. In a couple of afternoons I've gone to leave school and I've heard all this going on and I've been too frightened to leave uh, thinking maybe this lady needs help do I go over there and assist her or um, you know, is it best if I just ring the police or shall I check she's alright before I go and then you worry about the little child you just really worry about what the child hears and sees and whether you need to go over and, and look after the child Ms Hankin says as a bystander the situation is difficult because while they call the police or keep an eye on things, there has been little change. She says the police do a good job in attending, but it's surprising the situation continues. Another neighbour is Moritz Vandenberg. He's called the police at least ten times in the last year. I suppose you quite quickly learn not to call every time, so I do wait till I sort of perceive that it's getting pretty much out of control and I do hear those threats of, um, of significant um, violence. You've called 111, you've seen them arrive, you've heard the fighting, have you got any expectation of the police? Have you got any expectation of an outcome from that action by you? I thought, you know, the chap would be dealt with by the police, you know, reasonably severely. And, you know, from there he may go on to some sort of program in terms of assistance with, with um, you know, with violence and, and anger management, etc. You know, that turns out to be uh, quite a naive expectation. So again, you know, if you are going to call the police and want to see something happen, you need to understand that, in fact, it is actually a long road and a lot of persistence will be required on your part. Mr Vandenberg says all the neighbours worry about the little girl in the house because of her vulnerability but he says no one is able to do much to help. The government is hoping that may change if its campaign to stop family violence is successful. The expansive programme includes an 0800 number for information on violence, a range of action plans, a website and a large media campaign. Ruth Dyson is the Associate Minister of Social Development with responsibility for family violence prevention and for child, youth and family services. She says the programme is designed to change people's attitudes. A lot of people who live in violent families, whether they're babies and children or husbands and wives, 
uh, have violence as part of their normal lifestyle. They consider it normal. And um, part of this campaign is saying that it's not. It's just not okay. So it's it's helping them to move to a point where they understand that that isn't what life needs to be all about. Life can be better. Life can be safe. So giving them that opportunity, that glimmer of hope that that perhaps they've never had in the past. A lot of people who live in violent families were brought up in violent families and their parents were brought up in, fam- in families that were violent. So th- this will be, for some, the first time that they're told that violence is not OK. The, the message from the campaign also sends a, a, a uh, you know, a comparable message to the perpetrators of violence, that, that we condemn this, we don't agree with what you're doing, it's not OK. Ms Dyson says it's very difficult for people living with domestic violence. Many people who are in violent family situations feel ashamed, they feel that they might be to blame, they're going to be judged, they're going to be criticised, they're isolated from family who are safe family members and from friends and their community. So giving them that message that it's okay to ask for help and then have us as central government, as local government and as communities willing and ready and able to respond when they do ask for help. Ms Dyson says people must call if they hear or even suspect domestic violence is taking place. But that's not easy. Tania Anderson is a sole parent living in a state house who tried to help her neighbour who was frequently being beaten up. It was so nasty and I just didn't want the repercussion of who they were and what they could do. So I didn't do anything about it. But when it got to the late stages of what, I just couldn't handle it anymore. I thought, what am I going to do? So I actually did go for help and I was knocked back. And it was like when I went to Housing New Zealand and saying, this is what's happening down there. People have been taking it over by black power or whatever to do their stuff. And I told them everything and all to be told, we're not going to do anything. Housing New Zealand admit the situation in this particular house is both difficult and complicated, though that is no consolation to neighbours. Tania Anderson says knowing family violence is going on is a very difficult position to be in and people have to think about what might happen if they take action. The thought should be for the kids, but with not knowing what you're going to walk into, that makes a decision hard what to do. I mean, you can hear everything that's going on next door, but if I walk in there... Um, has someone got a knife? Has what is the situation? Mm. You don't know, mm. and it's like they can deal with your own crap, to be honest. But it was hard hearing the children screaming and crying. Ms. Anderson says for many people, domestic violence is the norm, and she's got another friend she wants to help. The last time I heard, the last time she talked to me about um, one of the sessions, was that um, he basically um, cornered it into the laundry and did his thing. No, kicking her. Um, smacking her and pushing her up against the wall and basically just 
Ms Anderson says it's really hard for people in these relationships, but it's not easy for people trying to help either. Gareth Jones lives in one of Auckland's most expensive suburbs. The sophisticated cafes of Mission Bay are three minutes' walk from his letterbox. However, that doesn't protect him from the sound of domestic violence. We've heard it a couple times um, from coming from the same area. We don't exactly know what house it is, but we know it's very, very close to where we live. Yeah, it's, it's very disturbing, but uh, we don't know really... I mean, I'm very big against type of, you know, anything to do with uh, violence or anything, but um, you don't really know what's happened in the past, um, why they're doing it, what's... There's a lot of reasons why you don't want to kind of confront the situation. Mr Jones and his flatmate have not called the police. They're not proud of that, but fear the repercussions. I totally feel unsafe to do something about it. You don't know what they're capable of, and with all the sorts of drugs out these days that people are having, you just don't know what they're going to do. And and um, if you, you know, even if you decided to do something or phone cops, or you're putting yourself at risk as well because you don't know who they know, and they could find out about you, do anything to you, um, and. I mean, I think personally it should be definitely the police to solve it out. I mean, I'm sure they'll probably deal with a whole lot of domestic violence, but I think it's the step that goes from that once they've intervened, then you need to get to the roots of why these problems are, you know, why they're having these problems of domestic violence. You know, some of these people might need some help. But what about those inside a violent relationship? Shan, who's 23, lives in the house near the school. She's been in an abusive relationship with Leonard for five years. I try to get out, like I try just to leave, but then he doesn't let me leave. So then we're stuck here arguing because he's not going to bugger off until, like, I've told him to get out, piss off. Kind of away, yeah. I'd always try to go away. I end up texting my dad to come over, but then, uh, like, my dad's getting old. He's, like, in his 40s now, so I don't want to keep having to call him all the time. Shan says she knows the bad relationship is difficult for their daughter, especially when Leonard has been absent for a while and when he's violent. Everywhere I go, I take her with me. Like, when I go, if I go to the shop, I take her with me because she'll stand at the door, even if it was just them two home. She'll stand there crying for me. But it's like when he goes for, for a long time and then I bring him back, he comes back, He um, she doesn't like know who he is in a way like she um, knows who he is but she won't go to him she won't she'll just call out to me and she does that for probably about a week and she starts getting back into it but that's how she is towards him because she knows of his anger Mm. and she's aware of it like once she he raises his voice she'll come straight to me does she get really scared? Um, not scared, like she'll play around, but it's me like trying to, like if we're sitting there arguing, but he's usually standing because I'll be holding her sitting down. She doesn't, she doesn't get scared. Oh, when he first, when he first raises his mouth, yeah, she'll um, run to me straight away or she'll just stand there and stare like thinking what's going on and then she'll come to me. But then after, like, she starts hearing it, if we're going on and on, she'll start playing. But when he first starts off, yeah.
For Shan, this is pretty much everyday life, and she's used to visits from the police. They just ask me like our names, what happened, and then um, Leonard has to leave, but then he ends up coming back five minutes later. So yeah, and then like, where does he go when he leaves? He just practically goes up the road, around the block, and then comes back. About three times he's done that now. Well, every single time, actually, when the cops have told him to go, he'll grab his stuff, then he'll go. And then I come in here or I clean up something, then I hear the door open or I just like see him walking past here coming back. And he comes in and the cops tell us, say to us, don't start up again or we'll have to arrest you to Leonard. And then he comes back and then probably a couple of times we've started arguing again. Not as loud as where the cops get called again. But instead of just leaving, he comes back for more. Shan says it's no way to live, but she doesn't know what else to do. And with scant education and no work skills, she has few resources to manage herself out of the situation. Minister Ruth Dyson says behaviour like Leonard's is unacceptable and the agencies have good strategies to manage people like this. When people come in to, come to the attention of the police, they have very good links up, whether it's with sexual abuse counselling, which a lot of these violent men need, whether it's with drug and alcohol treatment, whether it's with anger management. Sometimes it takes a lot of hard work and they have to keep going back and back and back. Uh, some, some people are very resistant to change because they've been brought up in an environment where their life is normal, that it is normal to beat people and to be beaten. It, so it's, it's hard work, even if somebody's as young as 23, if they've had the whole of their 23 years knowing nothing else, it's hard work, but it's worth it. Ms Dyson's optimism is not shared by some of those who have direct experience with the police and agencies responsible for dealing with family violence. Principal Diane Hankins. I would imagine that once it comes to the attention of the police and it comes to the, their attention many times, that somehow agencies should connect. There should be a connect with agencies. But to be honest, I've said I've had... Um, lots and lots of meetings in this school for strengthening families and SIFs and so on and we meet and nothing happens and then six weeks later we meet again nothing happens and you know I've been involved in lots of meetings with agencies around own issues with, with children and families in the school and very seldom is there anything that comes out of it. Neighbour Moritz Vandenberg agrees and says the apparent lack of change makes him feel despondent about continuing to call in help. I assumed um, that's right that the policing function was was very much one of stopping the violence from escalating and making sure the child was safe and that happens and then of course I thought from there there would be discussion amongst the uh, the social agencies and I understand that is is uh, what is supposed to happen from there there would be referrals to um, the various other social agencies and quite readily that um, you know that I'd start to see some improvement uh, or some uh, intervention because certainly intervention is required I expected that that would start to happen quite quickly I suppose more latterly, as I've called the police, I've also asked then for a um, report 
from the police, which would provide me with a way of following up on uh, what's actually been happening and also have tried to um, get some of the other social agencies involved. And again, fair to say that um, that's a very, very difficult process and again, one where quite a lot of justification is actually required on my part. Senior Sergeant Dave Ryan is the District Family Violence Manager for the North Shore Waitakere Rodney District Police Headquarters. He says often people postpone calling the police, even though they're worried about what they're hearing or seeing. Quite often the person that is witnessing this is so upset that that doesn't happen. And and quite often they probably, the the moment they hear what's occurring on, uh, you know, next door or whatever, won't do anything until some time afterwards and then when the banging and the hitting gets louder and that they think I've got to do something about this it's been going on for one hour two hours three hours or whatever you know and sadly um, the person can have the victim in the incident could have sustained some pretty serious injuries by that time. Senior Sergeant Ryan says the police respond to all calls. There are times when we do get pressed and we might have four or five domestic incidents lined up waiting for staff to go to and then the person in the Com centre is required to prioritise exactly, you know, where those situations are and where the resources and that are needed to be. So, you know, for a police officer to do a comprehensive job in relation to domestic violence can take some time. Constable Carl Vincent works out of the Henderson Police Station and says most domestic violence takes place in the weekend and involves people from all walks of life. We have a female requesting the police to be addressed. Constable Vincent says many people think the police do nothing, but the reality is they do as much as they can. He says they need to gather evidence for each case, and just because someone calls does not mean a crime has been committed. On the Friday night I am with them, they attend five incidents in as many hours. One is very serious. It sees a young woman and child removed from the home and eventually taken to women's refuge. Yeah, we're returning to base with the uh, female for... See what we can do for me. Roger. Cycle. Yeah, go ahead. Did I send you to River Park Crescent? Yeah, fam. Just wanted to let you know that the offender returned and has since left again, possibly heading towards a friend's place on uh, Woodside. Constable Vincent says not yeah, all call-outs are as clean-cut as this, where there was evidence of assault. He says some addresses are so well known to the police they can almost predict when they'll get a call. At one address we attend, the woman and her partner continue to meet and then fight in spite of a protection order. The woman is 36 and a grandmother. Eight children live in the house and we speak in a filthy garage where at least three people sleep. Constable Vincent says this woman calls when she's had enough of him and expects the police to take him away. He says in many cases there's nothing they can do because of lack of evidence of a crime or victims who won't speak out or people rejecting any help from agencies. Couples have been arguing and arguing and you know that if you leave something's going to happen and um, neither party wants to leave the address and no one's given any headway 
and there's nothing you can do. And you know you've got to leave the address and just leave them there because they're not they're not legally obligated to leave if they don't want to. And um, you sort of just get stuck and going, um, what do I do now? Constable Vincent says cases are never straightforward and it's rare to get calls from women who are in a violent relationship. Well, I, don't, I think it's just that the ones that, um, that aren't called on are the ones that actually are violent, you know? Because the women are either too scared or someone's too scared to call. A lot of, yeah, a lot of times it's not the woman that calls us, it's either A, the neighbour or B, the children. The statistics show that women and children bear the brunt of physical violence in the home. But again, scratch the surface and the picture is more complex. Men are both the perpetrators and sometimes the victims. They can also become caught up in emotional games they find hard to comprehend or ignore. The reality for many people who have few resources is they take for granted and are imprisoned by a lifestyle that those outside their world don't understand. I had a big argument with my wife. Stuart Payne does have a lot of resources, at least materially. He's trendy, well-educated, and has just finished the Man Alive anti-violence course in Auckland. My parents were over on holiday. She'd been in a real bad mood. The situation had got worse and worse and worse, and she started pretty much insulting my parents, and I just flipped. What we've learnt subsequently is that you don't just flip. There's a build-up to this. I took a knife, uh, just, just a, an eating knife, and again, we're not supposed to do just... I took a knife to her throat and threatened her. I probably wouldn't have done anything more than that, but it was a, a way of trying to intimidate and, and get some power back into a situation that I felt had lost control. I pushed her to the floor and then uh, sort of started to realise what I'd done and packed my bags and left. Mr Payne says his parents did not intervene. They were physically, mentally shocked by the situation that they felt just sort of blew out of, out of nothing. Interesting, later on, they then became the sort of prayer rental, or we could see, and starting to justify and, and help, you know, helping me feel that what I did had some degree of rational behaviour in it, which it clearly didn't. Take everything out of it and then say, on a normal day, would you hold a knife to somebody's throat? And it's completely bizarre. And yet people around you will help you try and rationalise and justify what you did. He says it's important for bystanders to intervene, but the examples coming from the top are not good. Talk about Parliament. What better environment to demonstrate a lack of respect and verbal and emotional abuse than you know, watching parliamentary question time? Sean says many agencies have tried to help them, but they don't know what it's like. Her partner Leonard washes car windscreens for money. He's got nothing. That's reasons why I take him back because I feel sorry for him because he, he's like um, got nothing. He never has, doesn't have it. It's like he doesn't exist, doesn't have a bank account, doesn't have any ID whatsoever. So do you pay for everything? Um, all my money goes on the rent in the car. Or, um, and he like tries and pays our power, but we're, my money usually goes towards that as well. And he just buys like everyday things because he makes like over a hundred bucks a day if it's a nice day like this. And then that just goes on shit. That would go 
on dinner, smokes, like drinks, chips and all that, what she needs and then it's all finished. So that's why he has to do it, go out again like tomorrow and go make some more money because it's all gone. He can go on the unemployment benefit but he ha will have to go to work track. He's done it before on um, where you go to work. Yeah, he has to go on like a course to find you a job, that's why he won't go on the benefit. He'll rather have, rather me have another baby so he can claim benefit for the for an, for a baby. That's what his idea was. Since this interview was conducted, Leonard has vanished. Sean thinks he's living on the street somewhere, possibly with his young brother, and the police have issued a warrant for his arrest. Tania Anderson also knows from the experience with one of her friends how complicated situations can be. Her family is just as violent as as the person she's with. So that's all she's ever known. Because that was what I was dealing with. It was not just her, but her family as yeah, her family is a violent family. But Ruth Dyson says situations like this cannot be tolerated and she hopes the new campaign will spur people into action. Our society as a whole suffers if we have people who are living within it, who are living in unsafe homes, who haven't got the resources to support their children properly, who are missing out on a connection and a future that the rest of us just take for granted. We're a small country. We're the best country in the world. We can do better for those people who are, at the moment, outside our support. Ms Dyson says it may take five years for the campaign to make an impact, and there's more money available for services if required. Moritz Vandenberg says a very strong hand is needed, not policies and strategies. If you are going to get involved, then you are no longer a bystander because certainly my experience is that you'll need to get quite uh, directly involved and be very persistent and basically put your neck out for the sake of uh, getting something done and you won't actually get, um, I was going to say, much support. In fact, I'd say you wouldn't get any support at all from those various agencies and in fact they will you know, for their own good reasons of vetting and allocating resources, um, they will actually put you through the ringer. Oh. So as far as, a, you know, somebody who's wanting to make a difference uh, and wanting to get those agencies involved, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thankless task, I'd say. If Mr Vandenberg is right, the situation is dire and it will take more than a campaign to make substantial changes to a complex situation. At present rates, that means at least 50 children and 70 women will die at the hands of abusive partners by 2012. But the wider cost that is hard to measure is the damage to those who witness it, both inside and outside the family, which compounds the cycle of violence.